Let's pray. <clears throat> so, Father, we just thank you for this awesome day. We thank you for your amazing love and grace towards us. And this morning, God, we pray that, God, you just touch our hearts, you'd stir us afresh and just presence yourself with us, we ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, have a look at this. Name of the deceased in relation, Hendrik Luther, grandson. And our father on every step. When you reach the top of the stairs, Hendrik will be released from purgatory and enter the gates of heaven. Name of the deceased in relation, Wolfram Escher. And our father on every step. When you reach the top of the stairs, Wolfram will be released from purgatory and enter the gates of heaven. Father Nostriki is located at the gate of Nostriki. I've been here been to Rome. Did you buy an indulgence? No. I did. For a silver florin, I freed my grandfather from purgatory. For twice that, I could have sprung grandma and Uncle Marcus too, but, but I didn't have the funds, so they had to stay in the hot place. As for myself, the priests assured me that by gazing at sacred relics, I could cut down my time in purgatory. Luckily for me, Rome had enough nails from the Holy Cross to shoe every horse in Saxony. <laughs> but there are relics elsewhere in Christendom. Eighteen out of twelve apostles are buried in Spain. <laughs> and yet here in Wittenberg, we have the pick of the crop. Bread from the Last Supper. Milk from the Virgin's breast. A thorn that pierced Christ's brow on Calvary and 19,000 other bits of sacred bone. We obsess over relics, indulgences, pilgrimages to holy places. Yet all the time, all the time, there is Christ. Christ, Christ here. In every corner, in every hour of the day, he isn't found in the bones of saints, but here, in your love for each other, 
in your love for one another, in his sacraments, and in God's holy word. If we, if we live the word by faith, in love and service to one another, we need fear no man's judgment. Those who see God as angry do not see him rightly, but look upon a curtain as if a dark storm cloud has been drawn across his face. If we truly believe that Christ is our savior, then we have a God of love. And to see God in faith is to look upon his friendly heart. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is there, I shall be also. Really enjoyed that movie. How many have seen that one, Luther? Yeah, very, very good. I think that along with Amazing Grace would be the two best Christian historical movies that I've seen. And of course, this particular movie is about the life of Martin Luther and how he discovered the truth that we are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. And that revelation absolutely changed Martin Luther's life and changed the church, well, changed most of the church. But uh, there are countries today who still follow that um, high Catholicism uh, and still will crawl over glass and up steps, etc., trying to earn their passage to heaven. I know when we were in Chile, there was a famous march that happened once a year, and in the Philippines, the same thing happens too. But the truth that Martin Luther discovered is summarized in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, and it says, For it's grace, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's by grace that you've been saved. And that's the truth that we need to know. And so this morning, as you probably gathered, I'm going to talk about amazing grace. Uh, people all over the world know the word grace, but most have no idea what it actually means. I mean, when you hear the word grace, what comes to mind? A cute little girl? Uh, the prayer that you say? Before meals, uh, someone who moves effortlessly when they're dancing. Uh, according to some dictionaries, it's a special favor. It's goodwill towards others. Temporary immunity, in other words, a period of grace. These are all the typical understandings of the word grace that we, uh, that we see in our world. But the Bible says that grace is God's unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace is the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God upon sinful mankind. It's God working on our behalf, not because he has to, but because he wants to, because he loves us. It's the empowering presence of God that enables you and I to be all that he has created us to be and to do all that he has called us to do, even though we don't deserve it. So this morning, I want to highlight just three areas that grace amazingly changes our lives. And the first one is that grace makes a way for the forgiveness of sin and helps us overcome weaknesses to transform us. In 2007, as the director of the Assemblies of God Overseas Missions, I was sent to visit our missionaries in Thailand, Cambodia, and West Kalimantan. And West Kalimantan, as part of Indonesia, used to be called Borneo. So our planning was going really, really great until five days before we were scheduled to leave. I got an email from Sam Sakota telling us that the Indonesians had changed their border requirements and they were no longer issuing visas on the Malaysian Kalimantan border. So it was too late for us to get a visa from the Indonesian embassy in Wellington. So we had to plan to try and get a visa in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, knowing that without a visa, we wouldn't get in. In fact, we found out later that a friend of ours had flown from Australia to Cambodia, then on up into um, uh, Kuching in Malaysia, and then driven another two hours down to the Kalimantan border before being turned away. And he had to go home without uh, visiting the missionaries that he had wanted to visit. So we applied for our visa uh, when we were in Cambodia. And in applying for it, we found that, amongst other things, any criminal offences would exclude us from getting a visa for Kalimantan. It took us a week to get our visas, but once we got them, Crossing the border was a piece of cake. It was just very, very easy. And in reflecting on that, I realized that most countries have rules for immigration. Most countries have rules uh, for visa requirements. And there are entry conditions so that if you don't meet them, you won't get in. Uh, for instance, in New Zealand, if, you've, if you have any criminal criminal offences, any criminal background, you won't get into New Zealand. Now, the same is true for the kingdom of God. Everyone wants to go to heaven. Everyone wants to be part of God's kingdom. The problem is that there are strict entry requirements. The one requirement that stops all of us from entering the kingdom of heaven is that entry is barred to all sinners. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's a problem for you. <laughs> People who committed any sort of sin are barred from heaven. Now, 
When you look at the Ten Commandments, it's obvious that every one of us have broken them at some time or other. Uh, when you realize, though, that we look at the outward and God looks at the heart, it creates a bigger problem because not only are those external Ten Commandments an issue for all of us, but Jesus said, hey, you can break those things in your heart. For instance, guys, if you've ever looked at a woman lustfully, then Jesus said, you've basically committed adultery in your heart. He said, unforgiveness is a problem. Greed is a problem. And so no wonder Romans 3 verse 10 says, no one is righteous, not even one person. Nothing we can say, nothing we can do, no amount of giving is going to wipe away our sins and cause us to be clean enough to gain entry into God's kingdom. We can't buy a visa to heaven when we have been convicted of sin. And that's where God's amazing grace comes in. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He so loved us, that He gave His one and only Son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send a son of the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And because Jesus, who was perfect, died for you and I who have sinned, then Jesus gives us the opportunity to ask him to forgive us our sins, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and he's paid the price for us to be made sinless in God's eyes. How, how amazing is that? Even though we don't deserve it, that's amazing grace. That's God's gift at Christ's expense. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. We are filled up by the life of Jesus by grace. We do everything by grace. Our life is a gift of grace from God. And so we need to know how we should respond to it. There's nothing we have done or could do to merit salvation from God. John Newton, the writer of that hymn, Amazing Grace, in his latter years told his friend, My memory is failing, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. So it's by the grace of God that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's because of His love towards us, He's made a way through Jesus Christ for us to come to know Him. But not just that, God's grace helps us overcome life's problems. You know, as we look ahead to the next 12 months, I wonder what feelings you are experiencing. Excitement, anticipation, good things. Or is it fear, anxiety, worry, dread? I would imagine that a number here and a number who are away on holiday at the moment are facing incredibly challenging situations, severe trials, needing a miracle this year just to get through it. Well, we can overcome the toughest trials by God's grace. Romans 5.17 says, 
For if by the trespass of one man, meaning Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Wow. Paul, who wrote these words, had it tougher than most. And you read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Romans chapter 8. Let me just read a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed. This is typical of most pastors. Um, been exposed uh, to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spend a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Wow. And he goes on, of course, in Romans 8 and tells us about persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And he says, for your sake, we face death all day long. Then he makes an astonishing statement in Romans 8, verse 37. He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, Paul wasn't superhuman. He wasn't Superman. He was just like you and I. So how did Paul do it? How was Paul able to get through those situations and those circumstances? He faced trials more than most of us will ever face. How did he overcome those situations? 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Remember, the grace of God is God's empowering presence, enabling us to be everything that God has created us to be and to do everything that God has created us to do, even though we don't deserve it. With Apostle Paul, when talking about a weakness in his flesh, was told by God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's not Jesus died so that I could go to heaven, but all the rest of it is up to me. It's not that at all. It's God working in us, through us, every minute of every hour of every day to give us victory so that we can live the kind of life that we couldn't live by ourselves. The key for Paul was the grace of God the empowering presence of God in his life. Grace was everything to Paul. He couldn't stop talking about it. He called, he's called the apostle of grace. He calls his message the gospel of God's grace. In the New Testament, two-thirds of the time grace is used, it's used by Paul. His letters open and close with grace. And God has given to each one of us all 
the grace that we would ever need. Ephesians 4, 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And when God gives us His grace, when God gives us His empowering presence, it has an impact on our lives. When I was about a year and a half old, I put my fingers into a broken 240-volt wall socket. I can still picture that wall socket in the lounge of my parents' house. It threw me across the room. Fortunately, I wasn't walking that stage. I was on my knees, so I was bent. And so when my hands went in, kapoom, my knees straightened and I was thrown away, which was, save me. When you latch on to 240 volts, it affects you. <laughs> Not just 240 volts. I remember my first time working for New Zealand Dairy, I had to go out and do some bore samples in the middle of a farm. And I'd never been on a farm really much before. And, uh, but I knew that that little wire across the top of the, uh, the fence was an electric fence. And I was smart. I had heard that all you needed to do was take a, a length of uh, grass and just put it up against the, the wire, and it'll tell you if, if there is any electri- ele- electricity thrown through it. So I got that piece of grass, and I put it on, and I went, nothing. <laughs> I'd better check again. Nothing. Nothing. Boom. <laughs> I got it between pulses. When the God of the universe deposits his Holy Spirit of grace within you, it affects you. His incorruptible seed is going to produce good fruit in your life. It's going to change your life. And unless you stop that seed from growing, it will bear fruit in your life. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. He always leads us in triumph. He always leads us in victory. Because of God's amazing grace, his empowering presence, we can have victory in the middle of life's problems. The grace of God can radically transform the most sinful, ungodly person. In fact, Romans 5 verse 20 says, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We can look at our background. We can look at other people. We can see weaknesses. We can see problems. We can see addictions. And we can think, there's no way we or they can live a victorious Christian life. But that's contrary to what the Bible says. Because the Bible says where sin, abuse, dysfunction abound, God's grace abounds even more. Grace covers us. Grace takes dead people and makes them alive. That's the good news of the gospel. And when we become alive in Christ, there will be an evidence of that life. Grace is not just about the way we get saved, but it's about the way we live. You see, I can't really live for God outside of God's help, outside of Christ working in me, without, outside of God, great, grace working through me. Grace is not just about getting, God getting us to heaven. It's about Jesus Christ living in us 
empowering us, helping us to be everything that we are created to be and to do everything that God has planned and purposed for us, even though we don't deserve it. If you've got problems this morning, the bigger the problem, the more grace there is for you to overcome that situation, that circumstance with Christ's help. You see, when we realize just what Jesus has done, it affects the way that we live and it'll affect the way that you want to live in serving him. God's amazing grace helps us to run and finish our race. A couple of weeks ago, I decided to take my five-year-old grandson Ezra on a two-kilometer bushwalk from our place to the Raumanga Dam. And uh, you can see that's, uh, that's our place there. And so we went down through the neighbor's property, down into the bush, and that was the track of our journey. Anyway, that was how it, how it worked out. But Israel was just, uh, he was just so excited. He and River came over the day before to stay the night with us. Ezra had his backpack ready. He was just so pumped. Quarter to four in the morning, <laughs> Ezra and River come into my room. Is it time yet, Poppy? No, go back to bed. Quarter to six in the morning. Is it time yet, Poppy? It's light now. Oh, dear me. <clears throat> anyway, after breakfast, we loaded up the backpack, which Ezra insisted on carrying the whole way. He was going to do it himself. Well, it, it took us uh, an hour, 40 minutes, uh, with our morning tea breaks and nature lessons and exploring along the way. But we made it. And we had an awesome, awesome time. Uh, the reality was that Ezra didn't know the way, but I did. I'm going to flick over to the next slide there. Yeah, we got there. All Ezra knew was that we were going on a great adventure. And if he kept following me, he would get to where we wanted to go. And when the going was tough, uh, there were, at the start there was gorse to get through, at the finish there was gorse to get through. In between it was fantastic. But when the going got tough, he hung on to me. In fact, one time we had to go down this pretty steep bank, so I'm going first. He was, hold on, hold, he was hanging on to me. He slipped, slid down. I was grabbing him, and um, we got to the bottom, and he looked up and he says, that was exciting, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me. <clears throat> when the going was tough, he hung on to me, but we made it, and at the end, there was Nanny and River waiting for us in the car. And we had some stories to tell. You know, in life, we have absolutely no idea how to get where God wants us to go. 
Just as it's absolutely impossible for Ezra to know how to get from my house to the dam, so it is equally as fanciful for us to think that we could possibly know how to get through life to where God wants to get us through in the way he wants to do it without him. All we can do is follow Jesus. It's foolish to think that we can do life's journey by ourselves. And when the going gets tough, Jesus draws closer. And if we would listen to him and follow him, we will make it and the journey as well as the destination will just be amazing. You know, despite all of Paul's problems, when he's writing to his young Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that is exactly what God has created us to do by his grace. Let's have the musicians, please. After competing in the 1968 marathon in Mexico City, one Tanzanian athlete became a national hero. He didn't win the race. In fact, he came in last. His name was John Aquiri. He cramped up badly due to the high altitude of Mexico City. And at the 19-kilometer point, there was a jockeying between positions, and he was uh, hit by some of the runners. He fell badly. He dislocated his shoulder. He wounded his knee. He could hardly walk, and the medical personnel came to him and said, we advise that you pull out of the race. But he wouldn't have it. Despite the contrary medical advice, he continued running the race. And he finished last out of the 57 competitors who completed the race. 72 actually started, but 57 completed it. He was last. The medal ceremony had finished. The winner had finished the race an hour earlier than this guy. But when they heard that there was still one more runner to come in, the press stuck around and people stood up and cheered him as he completed his final lap. When he was interviewed afterwards, he was asked, why didn't you just quit and seek medical care? And he replied, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the marathon. You know, God has called us not just to start the Christian race, but he's called us and he's given us his amazing grace to enable us to complete it. 
no matter what the problems are along the way. I want to encourage you this year to determine to continue to follow Jesus. Don't give up no matter how hard it gets. Don't give up no matter how many wounds, how many setbacks, how many trials. Keep going. Keep going. Cry out for grace. God will help you cross the finishing line. Be a finisher. And the amazing thing is, you don't have to do the race by yourself. But God has given us an amazing body of Christ. Not only do we have His empowering presence, not only do we have the same Spirit within us that raised Jesus from the dead, quickening our mortal bodies, but we have people around about us that can encourage us on our race. And so this morning, I just want to stand here as a testimony of God's amazing grace. That grace that enables us to have a relationship with the Father. That grace that enables us to get through life's problems. That grace that determines that we, at the end, will be able to say, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I want the ministry team just to come and just stand on the front. And if you're here this morning and you know there are trials, you know there are situations that you need a breakthrough in this morning, and you need to have that empowering presence afresh in your life, you need to have the presence of God that breaks through any situation or circumstance. You may need healing in your body. You may need breakthrough in relationships. You may be facing some difficult situations and circumstances in your life and work or in your home life today. Let us stand with you. Let us pray for you. Let us see that empowering presence enable you to get through those situations and those circumstances. You may be here this morning and you might never, ever have given your life to Jesus Christ. This is 2017. He has given you the opportunity to come to know Him because He sent Jesus, not because you deserved it, but because He loves you and wants you above all else to come to know Him. So just as we sing this refrain again, my chains are broken. I've been set free. If you would like someone to stand with you and pray for you, for your situation, your circumstance, if you're believing for a miracle, come, let us join with you and we'll see what God will do. Amen? Amen.